got some new people in this class, and I was reminded by a, uh, one of our members uh, this morning. He said, you know, one of our newer members, uh, attenders of the class, asked, is the New Testament written in Greek? And the answer is yes. That is the original language of the New Testament. And so what we're studying in this class are ways we can look at the original language of the New Testament that help us understand the English version that we use today, the English translation. Okay? So, I wanted to start this morning with a, a little personal biography, if you will. Uh, I was uh, uh, born in Dallas, Texas, a uh, little town north of here. I lived there for just a little bit of time before we moved to Fort Worth, Texas. Now, my mom is here, so if I've got this wrong, no. Excuse me. If she disagrees with me, then it's always good for her to be reminded of where we've lived. Um, I say that because mom and I do differ on a couple of these points, but I'm pretty convinced I have it right. Now, um, uh, from there, mom, I think we moved to New Orleans. And then from New Orleans to Shreveport, Louisiana. And then from Shreveport to Abilene, Texas. And from there to Memphis, Tennessee. And from there to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And from there to Rochester, New York. And from there to Lubbock, Texas which you might notice is a little bit bigger than the other places. That was the middle of seventh grade for me. And so Dallas, well, that's a suburb east of Lubbock. Um, <clears throat> Lubbock is pretty much the hub of the plains. Anyway, as a result of moving all of those different places, by the way, someone did send me this in the email this week. Lubbock, Texas, so flat you can watch your dog run away for two weeks. Someone else sent me Lubbock, Texas, so flat you can stand on a nickel and see Dallas. But aside from the humor... I will tell you that I'm convinced it's one of the reasons that I love to travel. And I'm fortunate to have a wife and children who love to travel as well because I've got this bug inside me that just says it's time to move. It's time to go. Fortunately, or maybe intentionally, I've worked myself into a job where I travel a lot in my job. I like going different places. I like a change of venue. It just seems normal to me to not be in the same place too long. And when we travel, one of the things that I love to do is to bring back something for the house or yard from wherever we go. And so if you come to our house or you come to our yard, I'm able to show you features or something that comes from lots of different places. Yes, lots of it shouts Lubbock, Texas, because that is just a great place to be from. But but it's it's something that I really enjoy. And one of the thoughts that have occurred to Becky and I as we age is our kids, when we're dead and gone, and they're dividing this stuff up. They're not going to have a clue where this stuff's from. It's kind of like, we always hated this picture. And they don't realize how important that picture is because of where we got it. 
that whole lineage of our history behind all of these different features, if we're not careful, it'll be gone when we go. And it's okay if our kids choose to throw it away, but I would at least like them to make that as a deliberate choice and not just die with the knowledge in my brain. Make sense? Maybe this is just the morbid Mark Lanier, and you've never thought of such things. But I think of these things. So, I say that because I ask you this question. You speak English. Where did it come from? I mean, well, yeah, yeah. Well, isn't it from England? Well, okay. Yeah, sorta. Sorta. But that's not that good of an answer. You can say, yeah, it's from England, hence English. But it goes back a little further than that. It goes back, if we pull up England and we look at a map of England, there's England. And yes, that's where our language principally is identified from. But the English language did not start with Adam and Eve. Though we did have a Texas governor who famously said, I think in the 1930s, on the debate of whether or not English should be the primary language of Texas, our not so well-informed governor said, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for us. (laughs) That governor did not attend our biblical literacy class or he would have known the Apostle Paul did not do English. If you want to look at English, by the way, one of my favorite things I own is the Oxford English Dictionary in 22 volumes. From here to about right there. Each one honking big. Because that dictionary gives the history of every English word in addition to the definition. Gives instances, the oldest instances we can find where the word was being used and how it was being spelled. It's a fascinating book for nerds like me. Now, if you look at the history of the English language, you'll notice England could very easily and frequently was invaded by Germanic people who spoke Germanic languages. Makes sense, right? I mean, it's not far. Bam! Where else did they get invaded from? France. And the French people invaded. In fact, when William of Normandy, uh, William the Conqueror landed in England and and won, took over, invaded England in like 1143 or sometime around there. 11 when? 1066. I've heard it both ways. Um, when, When William the Conqueror conquers, French is the official language spoken in English government for hundreds of years. And French is just a a, a 1,000-year relative of Latin. 
at that point in time. Latin, where was Latin? What was the head of, of the Latin world? Rome. So those are called Romance languages. They're not Romance languages because, hey, hey, hey. They're, they're, they're Romance... <laughs> They're romance languages because they're from Roman world, okay? They descended from Latin. Now you're saying, I'm not so sure about this. Well, let me try to persuade you. You can look out your window and you can see the terrain. Comes from the Latin word terra, which means earth. Or you can look out your window and you can see the land. Comes from the old German word Lando. Not hard to see how we got that. And we have an English word that is from the Latin root, just like we have one from the Germanic root. And you can use either one. Not only that, I can say this rapidly or I can say this quickly. And they mean the same thing. But rapidly comes from the Latin word, root, that means quickly, and quickly comes from the Germanic root, that means rapidly. I can assist you with this from the Latin assistere, or I can give you a hand from German words for give and hand. I can, oh, what is that? Pork, from the Latin word porcus, which means pig or swine, from the German word swenum. How about this? Ooh, what's that? It's a serpent, from the Latin word serpens. Or is it a snake, from the German word snake? And we get the words from both languages. You, you following? Are you tracking with me? Now, why does this matter? Because in our Bible, when the translators translated the Greek of the New Testament, sometimes for a single Greek word, they'll use the Latin word. And sometimes they'll use the Greek, uh, the, the, the German word for us. So we've got, you're reading along in your Bible. It looks like two different words. It's the same word in the Greek. It's just the translators decided to use our German-based word or Latin-based word at one moment or our German-based word another moment. Let me give you an example. Justification or just or justify, comes from the Latin word use, I-U-S. Latin didn't have a J, so you can think of it as J-U-S. And it meant law. So justify is an English word that comes from a Latin root. If you want to say it in our Germanic language, you'd say righteous or righteousness or rightness. Right comes from the German root. Justify 
comes from the Latin root. But in Greek, it's just one word. It's the word dikaios. And so in Greek, when you look at dikaios, and we can spell it here, it is in Greek, D, and you're looking at it, just remember the D, looks like our D, it's just the guy had a, a bad moment when he was doing the up stroke. Okay, so he kind of did a little bob and weave. Okay, other than that, it's kind of our D. The I looks the same. That mark that I've put over the I is an accent mark. They did not dot their I's. Okay, D-I-K-A-I-O, and then the S at the end of the word, the sigma at the end of the word looks a little bit like our S if you got a C minus in handwriting. So that's the word dikaios. I want you to say it with me. Dikaios. Ha! Huh, you're fantastic. Now it comes from, Greek makes all sorts of words off of roots. There's a root, D-K. D-I-K, long E. D-K. And that's a root of this word. D-K means justice. It was also the name of the Greek goddess of justice. But this Greek word dikaios means basically the following. Consider first our word righteousness. Righteous or righteousness from the Germanic word. I looked it up. Oxford English Dictionary. And here's what we're learning. It means just. It means upright. It means virtuous. Righteous means, or righteousness means guiltless. It means sinless. It means conforming to the moral, uh, to the divine or moral law. Now, who wants to be righteous? Most of us. That's not bad. Righteous. I would love to be just, fair. I would love to be upright. I would love to be virtuous, guiltless, sinless. I would love to conform to God's divine law. I would love to conform to the moral law. Doing what's right. What a marvelous virtue to have. Now, look at the Latin word, based word, justification. Just or justified. You can already tell just looking at just. That's one of the words used to define righteous. The dictionary will define justified or justification as doing what is morally right or righteous. One word basically means the other. It's just a question of are we looking at the German rooted word we got from the German influence, or the Latin, from the Latin influence. That's it. It can mean made or accounted righteous. That's what justified means. So now we've got this Greek word, and what does the Greek word mean? Well, the Greek word means all of the above. 
You can draw the circle around the whole thing. Dikaios in the Greek means just, upright, virtuous, guiltless, sinless, conforming to the divine or moral law, doing what is morally right or righteous, made or accounted righteous. So you can translate that Greek word righteousness or justification or righteous or or doing right if it's in the verb form or just or justify. It's the same word in the Greek. Now, I want us with that in mind to look at a passage of Scripture. Now that you're a Greek scholar on dikaios. Say dikaios one more time. Dikaios. Now that you're a Greek scholar on dikaios, I want us to look together at Romans 3, 21 through 31 and see if it doesn't make even a little more sense than it would have otherwise. Romans 3... 21 through 31. And what we're going to do as we work through here is I'm going to show you where dikaios is. So that you can you can better parse it. Okay? But now, and, and, and let me, for those of you who may not be remembering how this starts out, let me get you plugged into the flow of this. Paul has been speaking to the Romans... The, the, the Roman church was a church that had been in some disarray. Caesar had kicked the Jews out of Rome. So the Jews who had started the church in Rome left. And that left only Christians who were Gentiles. So the Gentile Christians get to run the church by themselves for a year or two before the Jews are allowed back in. So in come the Jewish Christians that started the church. Now, you may think that's nothing, but think about it for just a second. Jewish Christians start the church. They're in charge of the budget. They're in charge of teaching. They're in charge of administration, taking care of the widows and orphans, outreach. And then the Jewish Christians get kicked out with all the rest of the Jews. And the Greeks, the the Gentile Christians get to start running all of that. And then the Jewish Christians who started the church come back in. And it makes sense that they would say, hey, you guys did good while we were gone. I'll take back over. At which point the Gentile Christians say, well, if you weren't Jewish, you wouldn't have been kicked out to start with. And we've been doing fine without you. And into that situation, Paul writes the letter to the Romans. And what Paul says, he starts out for the first two and a half chapters. He says, listen, all of you who are thinking about yourselves in God, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or anything in between, everyone fails to measure up to God's law. You're all a bunch of sinners who are all going to hell If you're relying upon your own righteousness. Because you don't conform to the moral code that is divine. You are not sinless. You are not guiltless. You do not have virtue. There's not one of you who's even doing a good deed. You're all going to hell. Until you get to this verse. (laughs) And that's the flow. And then Paul says, but 
now. But now, in this age, the age of the church, the age of Christ, but now, the dikaiosune, we're just going to use dikaios instead of the different forms because it's easier for you to remember, the dikaios of God. The righteousness, the divine moral code, the sinlessness, that which God alone possesses in truth, the righteousness of God has been manifested, it's been shown, it's been made real, it's become something not just in God, but beyond God. It's been manifested apart from law. A moral code that's, that, 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 that a righteousness, a conformity to this moral code that you don't actually do yourself. Even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness, the dikaios of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For everyone who trusts in Jesus, you have the conformity to the moral code, the justness, the virtuousness, all of those things in Jesus Christ. There's no distinction. Doesn't matter if you're the Jew. Doesn't matter if you're the Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're rich. Doesn't matter if you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're male. Doesn't matter if you're female. Doesn't matter if you're smart. Doesn't matter if you're challenged or anywhere in between. Because everyone has sinned, which means no one is righteous on their own. Everyone falls short of God's glory. No one conforms to the moral code. But everyone is, it's the same word in the Greek, dikaios. They've just shifted on you here. They just went Latin instead of German. Dikaios. So here's what he's saying. We've got a righteousness, a dikaiosness, a justness of God. Apart from what we're doing, it's to everyone who believes. There's no distinction. Don't get there on your own. But we are made righteous. We're righteousified. If we want to keep it in one English word. Because Paul's not switching words here. Our translators are. And it makes sense. It reads more fluid. But we need to know Paul's saying the same word. He's just put it into a verb form. So the righteousness noun of God. We've got because we got righteousified. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now before we go forward, let's make sure we're following the flow. Paul says, you're all going to hell if you look at your own efforts. But 
we do have a righteousness, a, a conformity to the moral code, a sinlessness, a guiltlessness, a virtuousness. We've got one from God that's been made manifest, that's here to us apart from what we're doing based upon whether or not we believe in Jesus. We are made righteous. We are righteousfied as a present, as a gift, not because we earned it, but because he gave it to us through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, that's important to follow. Paul didn't just say we've been given it as a present. We live in a day and a generation where people think God can just forgive because he's kind of a nice guy. I think my kids do something wrong. Some of it I just choose to overlook. And we start thinking maybe God's that way. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This isn't something that God just says, hey, I'm going to let him be. God can't simply pronounce you righteous. You've got to be righteous-fied. God can't simply declare you just. You've got to be made just. There has to be a price that's paid for your sin. That's the cosmic justice of God. Well, can't God just change? No, don't ever ask him to do that. Wouldn't work. He wouldn't change. He can't change. But heaven forbid we have a God who can change. We have a God who can change. What if he changes the rules on us tomorrow? We rely upon him not changing. So, we're righteousified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood, as the sacrifice for our sins to be received by faith. This was to show God's dikaiosness. See, this was to show God conforms to the divine moral code because God is the divine moral code. God is sinless. God had to put forward Jesus as death. Even if there would never been a Christian, if the world had ended on Easter Sunday, Jesus still had to die. Do you know why? Because in God's divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God had forgiven the sins of Abraham. And he can't just do it because he decides to. Abraham had to be righteous-fied. A righteous, just price had to be paid for the sins. It was to show God's dikaiosness. God's righteousness. That God really is just. That God really is living by the same moral code that he claims to live by. It was to show his dikaiosness at the present time so that he might be just. Same Greek word. They just switched and went Latin on us again. So that he might be dikaios. And the dikaios maker, the justifier, the dikaios maker, 
of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Paul's saying, Jesus had to die to pay the price for the sins that the people God had already forgiven, to show you that God himself is righteous. And because God is righteous, and he's the righteous maker, he makes you and me righteous. Praise God. Paul keeps going through this, and and he goes through it here. He goes through it in the next chapter. Um, He talks about how we hold one as righteous made or justified by faith apart from works of law. And I've used too much time on this passage now, or I'm at the end of my rope, I should say. But I've put more in the lesson, and I've even put an appendix of chapter 4 where I've bolded for you the different words that are dikaios and told you what form they're being used there so that you can do it on your own. But it's fascinating to look through Romans. You know, and, and, and it's that way all the way. I mean, this isn't just Romans. I just pulled Romans because it's a great illustration of the two. But you go back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. By gospel, he means Jesus dying for our sins. I'm not ashamed of Jesus dying for our sins. For uh, in it, the righteousness of God is demonstrated to those who have faith. It's it's That's it. That's the dehichiosis. Okay, back to the PowerPoint. We're there. Thank you, guys. So, that's it. Next word. Hagios. Say it with me. Hagios. Hagios. Great word in the Greek. Love that word. First of all, let's spell it. Greek, as of, uh, I mean... Look, if you're like a really big Greek nerd watching this on the internet or something, I'm ready to tell you that, yes, there was a portion of Athenian Greek that had an H letter back before they went Ionic on their alphabet, but it was long gone. We know that. doesn't matter to this class, so I'm not getting into it. Fine. Now, for accuracy's sake, we will learn here that Greek in the New Testament time period and for hundreds of years before that did not have the letter H. They would put what we can call a reverse comma above the first vowel, and that's a ha sound. Okay, if the if the comma is is turned the correct way, then that just means don't make an H sound. So that H, that comma above the A is our H sound. So that's ha gi. Remember, the G is just somebody who forgot to close the loop. When they wrote it, A-G-I-O-S, Hagios, Hagios, say it one more time, Hagios, oh, that's good. All right, so you ready to learn where it comes from? I mean, what we've got from it, our Latin words from it, and our Germanic words. First of all, holy and hallowed, (laughs) You know what? I, I messed up my PowerPoint. I apologize to you guys. I did it last night and I messed it up. Holy and hallowed are Germanic words. So I have crossed the columns here. So every, you who are listening to this on the radio or something, um, you've just been spared. <laughs> but those of you who are in here, just holy and hallowed are both Germanic words. Consecrate is from the Latin root. So is sacred. So is sanctify. So is sanctification. So is saint. 
all of those are uh, uh, from the Latin root, sanctus in, in the Latin. You think about the, the if you've heard the Lord's, uh, the, the Latin blessing uh, that a lot of, you know, if you watch The Exorcist or something like that, spiritus sanctus, spiritus sanctus is Holy Spirit. Okay, so sanctus is the Latin word. And, and from it, we get sanctify. We get saint. We get sanctification. Sanctus. Consecrated is a different Latin root. Consecrare. So um, um, recognize then that you've got these Latin roots and then in Germanic roots, hallowed be thy name, holy. All of the words you see up on the screen are words that are used to translate the same Greek root. Same Greek root. You just get it in all these different places, which brings us to our cartoon. Hey, geek, I'll bet you can't use holy, hallowed, consecrate, sacred, sanctify, and saint in one sentence. Hagios is a Greek word. Pay up. When you... Okay, I, look, I'm not a cartoonist, okay? You got you to gotta cut me some leeway here. I didn't even have this in here until Seaford emails me and says, uh, you don't have a Greek, Greek, Greek geek cartoon. So, I mean, this was like a last-minute throw-in. But um, uh, here you go. All of those are the same with the Greek word hagios. What difference does that make? Well, let's look at it. The Greek word, if you look it up in a Greek lexicon or do a Greek word study, you'll see that it means pure, means worthy, means dedicated or tied to God. It means able to approach God or ultimately God himself, who is the pure, worthy, dedicated, and God. That's what the word means. Now, you wind up getting it in a lot of different places. So you are saints. Paul writes to the Philippians, to the saints in Philippi. You're a saint because you're pure, worthy, dedicated. You say, I'm not that pure. I'm not that worthy. Oh, yes, you are. You've been righteousfied if you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you've been righteousfied. So you're a saint. And, 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 and you've been sanctified. You've been made sainty. You've been consecrated. You're set apart for God. You're holy. So look at a couple of passages here. I don't know that we'll have time for all three of them, but I'd like to try. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 is where we'll start. Just a simple one to show you what this does to us when we see it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. It's the very start of the letter. Paul begins... Verse 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Zosthenes. Two, the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. Same word in the Greek. To those who have, who are hagiosed who were pure, worthy, dedicated, and tied to God, called to be hagios. Same word. Same root. So to those who are pure, worthy, dedicated, tied to God, 
able to approach God, called to be people who are pure, worthy, dedicated to God, tied to God, able to approach God. You follow? All right, look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. It's a little bit longer, but um, it's worth looking at it. This is the will of God. Your hagiosness. Hagiosness. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Your purity. Your worthiness. Your being tied to God. Able to approach God. So abstain from sexual immorality. Let each one of you know how to control his own body in hagios. The word's here again. You see, so Paul's making that play. Here, I'll do it with a highlighter each time the word is used. So this is the will of God that you would be hagios. Pure, worthy, dedicated to God. Tied to God. So... Abstain from sexual immorality so you know how to control your own body in hagiosness, in purity, worthiness, consecrated to God, tied to God, and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. I mean, heavens. You are called to be tied to God, pure, worthy, dedicated to God. Don't just let your body take you wherever it will. You know, I've heard the expression, well, boys will be boys and men will be men. And I just see it the exact opposite. Coach, you live in a world of pro football players, world of college football players, world of high school football players. Is there truth to the fact that if you want to man up, You take control of your body instead of your body controlling you. That's manning up. I don't know. Boys will be boys. Give me a break. I'm I'm a boy. Man up. There's a laziness involved in letting your body control you. And it just comes a time where you just say, by the grace of God and the spirit of God and the power of God, I'm going to let my hagios, I'm going to be tied to him. I'm going to be pure to Him. I'm going to be worthy to Him. I'm going to be dedicated to Him. I'm going to take this stuff seriously and I'm going to try to live it. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. I know Him. I'm tied to Him. God has not called us to impurity or for impurity, but in hagiosness, in holiness. Therefore, who disregards this, look at this, who disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his hagio spirit to you. Same word. And Paul's making that play there. You're called to be hagios. You're called to be worthy. You're called to be tied to God. You're called to be different than the world and the Gentiles. That's why he gave you his hagios spirit. The spirit that is pure, worthy, tied to God. You see, you see the connection Paul's making? 
All right, we've got time for one more quick connection here. John 17, 19. Great passage when you see this. John 17, 19. Jesus here talking. And Jesus is praying for you and me. Jesus is praying not just for his apostles, but for those who would believe through their word. That's you and me. Jesus prayed for us before his crucifixion. And he says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world. But did you keep them from the evil one? They're not of the world. They're dedicated and tied to God. Sanctify them. Hagios them. That's it. That's Hagios. Tie them to you, God. Purify them. Worthify them. Have them dedicated and tied to you in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. That they may also be consecrated in truth. It's the same word. You've got hagios there over and over. The same root. Hagios. Them in the truth. For their sake... I hagios myself. Jesus, pure, worthy. He dedicated himself to God. He's going to the cross. Not because it was fun. Not because he needed it for himself. He needed it for those whom he loved. He could have left. He could have said, I'm out of here. Let's go make a new world somewhere. But I hagios myself so that they can be hagiosed in truth. This is not some fictitious worthiness we have. This is not some make-believe purity. This is not some, oh, well, Christianity is a nice way to raise your kids, so we might as well go to church and hope that they don't do drugs. This is truth. This is a true Purity. This is a true word. We saints are truly tied to God through the consecration, the tie to God that Jesus had. And we don't want to miss that. Okay, we got 10 minutes. Last word, then you're out of here. Okay, Um, so go back to the PowerPoint. We're here. Hagios, erase it. Last Greek word, pistis. Say it, pistis. Okay, you know that Greek pie looks kind of like a pie. I, S, and the S is different in Greek when it's in the middle of the word. It looks like the O grew a tail up at the top. P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis. Now, we have a Latin root we use from the Latin fide, if you remember any Latin you ever studied. We get fidelity from it. We get the word faith from it. Faith is a Latin-based word. Care to guess what the Germanic word is for the same thing? Belief. Sometimes our Bibles translate pistis faith. Sometimes they translate it belief. 
especially the verb believe in a verb form. It's easier to translate and say, if you believe in me, as opposed to if you faithy in me. So that's it. Compare, for example, Matthew 18.6 and 21.22. Well, we don't have time. You can do that on your own. Instead, I want to keep going. Let me tell you what it means. It means not just a knowledge of or belief of, but it means a conviction and a trust. You know, if I say, you know, I've had to say to some clients sometimes who are scared to death about what's going to happen in their lawsuit. I say, hey, have faith in me. I don't mean believe that I exist. I mean, trust me. Or I could say it that way. Look, if you'll just believe in me, this is going to work out. I don't mean if you, you know, you, you follow our word faith and our word belief. If we explore it, it can mean a trust. Doesn't always, you know, I, Do you believe in UFOs? I'm not asking you, do you trust in them? I'm just mean, do you think they exist? So our English is kind of a flim-flam word. It it can go either way. The Greek idea, though, means trust as well as a mental belief. So with that, look at Luke 16.11 with me. Luke 16.11 is a marvelous passage to show what happens when we see this together. Jesus says, and he's talking about the parable of the dishonest manager here. He says, one who is faithful in a very little, one who is faithful in a very little is also going to be faithful in a lot. One who's dishonest in a very little is also going to be dishonest in a lot. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you, the true riches. Now look at this. This is pistis, the root. If you, if then you have not been trustworthy, faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who's going to Put faith in you, pistis, for the true riches. Who's going to entrust you with him? Same word. Same word. It's just being used twice. So if in that regard you now look at John 2, 23 through 24, you're going to see something that's just kind of cool. It's a, it's a, it's a play on these words that we totally miss in the English. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed. That's pistis, right? That's our word, pistis. Many believed, had faith in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not pistis, entrust himself to them. Because he knew them. They put their faith in Jesus. They were trusting him. Because they saw the signs he did. But he wasn't putting his faith. Jesus wasn't putting his faith in the people. 
because he knew who they were. You see that twist? It's a beautiful twist in the writing. We just totally miss it in the English. But in the Greek, you see it's the same word, believed and, and entrust. Same words. And when you see that those are the same words, then the pun is there. Many believed in his name when they saw what he did, but he didn't believe in them because he knew who they were. So they could trust him to feed them, but he couldn't trust them to carry a glass of water. All right. I want to go to the points for home because we've got, uh, we've got a little more detail in them. Yes, Dale, these are your points for home. Look at Revelation 22.11. This is a great passage. We've got a point for home for Dikaios. We've got a point for home for um, uh, Hagios. And we've got a point for home for um, uh, Pistis. Dikaios. Let the evildoer still do evil. And the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Who can find Dikaios there? It means righteousness, justice, justification. Who can find it? How many times is it there? Four. Here, ah, watch this. Let the evil doer. Did you know in Greek, if you've got a word and you want to say the opposite of the word or say not to the word, you just put the letter A in front of it. So we do that with like, uh, uh, I am something can be possible or it can be impossible. Okay, uh, moral or immoral. They do the same thing with a. Something can be dikaios, righteous, or it can be a dikaios, not righteous, or evil. The Greek literally says, "Let the not dikaios still do." Not Dikaios. <laughs> and the filthy still be filthy. But let the Dikaios still do Dikaios. And the holy still be holy. So let those that are not Dikaios do not Dikaios things. If you're not just, if you're not right, if you're not morally, then fine, let them do that. But, and the filthy, they can just still be filthy. But, those who are dikaios, those who are righteousified, those who are justified, those who belong to Jesus and have put their faith in him need to live like it. And that's my point for home. I'm going to be serious about living up to my status. I got the status. I have no excuse for living in the gutter. None. Zero. And if I think I'm trapped in the gutter, then I need to address my status with Jesus Christ because he has set me free from gutter living. And that's a trick that Satan's pulled over my brain if he, if I think I'm trapped. Now, oh, I've got no choice but to live in the gutter. As Judge Kincaid told me one time, he said, Mark, I came from a marvelously Christian family. I cannot blame my parents for any of my dysfunction. And my thought is, no, I can't either. But even if I came from a horrible family... If I know the Lord, I can't blame my family for my dysfunction because God's going to call me out of it and bring me out of it. I just need to know what I'm living up to. I've got a status now. I'm a child of the king. I'm tied to God. Which brings us to the second word. 
We're going to use the same verse. Second point for home, though, our second word was holy. Look at this. Let, whoops, and let the holy still be holy. Paul, um, uh, John has set up a parallel structure here. Not dikaios, do not dikaios things. But the dikaios do dikaios things. And then compare the other two parts of that. The filthy stay filthy while the holy stay holy. So the opposite of dikaios is not dikaios. The opposite of righteous is evil. But the opposite of holy tied to God, dedicated to God, is filthy. I don't want to be filthy. I want to be holy. Last point for home. The scripture, Paul wrote this to the Galatians, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith, pistis, in Christ Jesus might be given to those who, pistis, who have faith. So every, the scripture imprisoned everything. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ is given to everyone who has faith. It goes back to his righteousness. That's the core of the whole matter. Do we trust in the righteousness of Jesus with all that entails? And if so, we are holy and tied to God. And it's just a matter of us living up to it as righteous people who've been justified. All right, next week, I'm so excited about the lesson. I want to pronounce a blessing over all of us. But uh, 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 next week is the, I wrote the lesson next week and I've been working on it truly for two months. It's my favorite lesson. I was teaching the whole class just to teach this lesson next week. I'll email you about it this week through Brent. Lord, would you please bless, bless my friends, my family, and all who hear this message that you, your righteousness, that your dikaiosune, that, 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 that your righteousness would, would be manifested in our lives. That by our, our pistis, by our faith in Jesus, Father, that you would give us that righteousness and purify us and help us to walk in hagiosness, in holiness, tied to you, set apart from this world. Father, it's so easy to leave this building and to go get back out onto the, the, the grindstone that we walk, the treadmill that we live. But my prayer is, is that you would just put within us your Hagio spirit that shouts to us and confirms to us that we are yours and that we will walk different, dedicated to you so that we can better see your glory on earth before we live eternally with you. That's my prayer for our class in Jesus. Amen. <laughs>